Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 186. Today's episode is all about the controllable causes of happiness. The one thing I've discovered over time is that as we talk about the art of science, we begin to dive more deeply into a lot of the sort of you know timeless or transcendental spiritual teachings around happiness. And what I've found is that balance is great and relationships are great and exercising your strengths is great, but my happiest moments have been found when I've not been trying to figure out just the right mix or balance in my life. I do my best in that respect, but then I find time really to just sit and rest and relax into this deeper peacefully alive place inside that not only is always there, but is always me. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello, love. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews are the best way to give back if you find the show helpful. They help the show grow, which helps me get even better guests. Well, today I want to share a short and sweet review from Ariel Holman, who says, This podcast is life-changing. I have so much gratitude for the podcast. My sister showed it to me years ago, and we love it. So informative on so many levels. Thank you, Melissa. Well, thank you so much, Ariel, and especially your sister for showing this podcast to you. I am so grateful to have you guys in my tribe. And now time for the show. First of all, I am currently wearing my baby and he is deep breathing below me. (laughs) So let's just use the rhythmic sounds to lull into this conversation around happiness because this mom's got to do what she's got to do to keep the show on the road. So let's get into it. Do you believe that your happiness is under your control? Well, here's an interesting stat. People who do believe that they're in control over their own happiness are actually 32% happier than people who think that it's all in the genes, which kind of proves that at least part of your happiness is in your control, doesn't it? And it makes sense. Your perspective controls your reality. So if you believe that you have that power, your brain is going to automatically look for evidence to prove that belief, which means that just by believing that you can control your happiness, you make yourself happier. Seems simple, right? Well, here's where it gets a bit more complicated. People that are already unhappy are five times more likely to believe that their happiness is out of their control compared to happy people. And that makes sense too, because it's kind of like this vicious cycle. Most people don't think that they're choosing to find misery in their life, so they believe it's out of their control. And then that belief drives their experience, which means that their brains automatically look for evidence that they don't have power over their happiness and that there's a reason to be unhappy, which creates more of that. So the hard part seems to be finding a way to jump the gap from unhappiness to happiness. And once you do, it's way easier to find reasons to stay in that happy realm. 
And that makes sense too, because this is something that I've said on a ton of episodes. We tend to only feel like doing things that keep us in our current state of mind. So if I feel down and depressed, the only things that will likely sound good to do are things that are going to keep me feeling down and depressed, like watching sad movies or binging ice cream and finishing off a bottle of wine. And as much as I try to convince myself that that sounds like the perfect evening, when it's all said and done, I usually just feel worse. And this is actually why one of the freebies that I give away when you sign up for the Morning Mind Love is my booklet of what I call my power lists. These are lists that I write or I coach you how to write when I'm in a good mood or I'm feeling more like my higher self so that then I can refer to them when I'm feeling low. And I write things down that make me happy or light me up. And I think of it kind of like my higher self throwing out a life preserver for my lower self saying, hey, just pick one of these things to start climbing out of this pit that you're in. And even though my lower self is like, F that, the last thing I want to do is go put on pants and go outside. When I actually just push myself to do it, I always feel better. And the more that I take those little actions, the easier it is to trust this process and the faster I'm able to lift myself back up again. But honestly, this process took me years, as simple as it sounds, because for years, my lower self was stronger than my higher self. So that side of me that wanted to be cynical and play the victim had been dominating my life for as long as I could remember. And what it comes down to is that I didn't really trust myself. I didn't trust that the work that I was doing was going to actually pull me out of a depression. But the more that I actually did this, the more I started to build a new belief. But like I said, it took a while. So how can we speed this shit up? (laughs) How can we start to wake up and choose happiness every single day? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Robert Mack. He's an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert, a celebrity happiness coach, executive coach, and author. Fancy, huh? His work has been endorsed by a ton of people you've heard of, including Oprah and Vanessa Williams, and his first book, Happiness from the Inside Out, The Art and Science of Fulfillment, is celebrity-endorsed and critically acclaimed. And three key things we will learn are the scientific equation of happiness, why chasing success actually creates more unhappiness, and the principle of smart energy investment. And now let's welcome Robert Mack to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you're a positive psychology expert. What inspired you to become a happiness coach? Great question. Unhappiness, mostly. (laughs) I mean, I really struggled with happiness my entire life. I just was extraordinarily depressed for probably over two decades. I remember being depressed even as a little boy. Um, And I always just thought that, you know, over time, I would sort of like become happier I thought if I made friends and maybe one day even had a girlfriend and I had dreams of being a professional basketball player. So I thought if those things sort of came to fruition, I would um, just find happiness eventually. But that didn't happen. It just got worse. And I eventually became suicidal and I had a suicidal experience. You know, I decided I was going to slit my wrist. And so I remember going to the kitchen, grabbing a kitchen knife and digging it into my wrist. And uh, I had the strangest experience At that time, you know, the last thing I expected to happen to me did, which is that suddenly, for no good reason, seemingly, I just started feeling better. I felt joyful and I felt peaceful um, probably for the first time in my life. It was like a pure peace and an alive kind of peace. And so at that moment, I decided to postpone the suicide and I started doing research. And um, 
you know, that research eventually led me to get a master's in applied positive psychology from University of Pennsylvania and do other things. But yeah, it was mostly unhappiness that led me to happiness. <laughs> right. It's like those of us that have an expertise in something, it usually ends up originating as our biggest struggles. Absolutely. Your, I think, greatest problems often point to your greatest purpose. And that was the case with me. Well, I have to ask, Vanessa Williams wrote the foreword in your book. (laughs) How did you become a celebrity happiness coach? Like, how'd you get introduced into the world of the celebs? Yeah. So I was working on a management consulting job for a while, hated the work, loved the people. And I decided to go back to get my MBA. And uh, in the meantime, you know, I had left the consulting company and I was basically really in need of work. And so I was walking along Lincoln Road in Miami Beach, you know, at some point and, um, you know, ran into just a guy on the street and he said, hey, have you ever modeled before? And I thought, oh, my goodness, I think of myself as the least likely person to be a model. I'm so insecure and shy and I didn't think of, you know, very good looking at all. And he said, well, you know, um, you should stop by the agency. And I just for sure thought he was joking. Um, But then it happened again, maybe a week later with someone different. So eventually, because I needed to pay the rent and I need to pay for business school, I eventually went into the agency and I started this over 10 year career as a model and actor. In any case, after a few years of doing that, I had booked a role on the CW South Beach and it was a short-lived TV uh, show and starring Vanessa Williams. And um, I played her model boyfriend, an abusive model boyfriend, <laughs> uh, which is a little hard, hard to pull off. But um, yeah, so I, I met her there. And then, you know, probably about six months later, I ran into her on uh, Lincoln Road, um, you know, and uh, I offered to show her around Miami. And um, before you know it, we were, you know, spending a lot of time together. And uh, she was kind enough, you know, to write the foreword to my book. And I'm still to this day, very, very, very grateful for that. That's interesting. I imagine like some celebrity somewhere was manifesting and then all of a sudden you happened to be in that dream and, <laughs> and you started getting discovered. It's just so interesting how everything works out. It's so true, Melissa. And I, you know, I never, the truth is I never intended, you know, I wasn't even really clear on being a happiness coach. I mean, I just thought I would model and then figure it out from there. And, um, you know, when I, um, you know, met Vanessa, there was no intention in, in my heart other than to get to know her, you know, just have really fantastic, awesome conversations. Even when I wrote Happiness from the Inside Out, it originally started out as just a journal for myself. I was just trying to do everything I could to stay happy. Like that was it. And over time, people started asking me, you know, Rob, we're here at this, you know, modeling shoot or this acting gig. And you're like really wanting to be in a trailer writing in your journal. Like, what are you doing there? And it was just my happiness journal. And so because people kept asking me about it, I eventually got to a place where I was like, you know, maybe I'll publish it. And friends encouraged me to publish it. And then I was just focused on, you know, sharing the ha- my happiness with other people. But because I was in the entertainment business and I was already connected with folks in that business, you know, word began to spread that, oh, this, you know, this guy works with models and he works with actors and athletes. And, you know, so it became um, one of those things that sort of develops organically and not intentionally. Well, it's interesting because happiness, I think most of us think of it as some like elusive state of mind most of the time. And it's like, oh, maybe I'm happy for a minute. Maybe I'm not. But you teach that happiness is really a science. And I know that I think there's even one of the Stanford online courses, like the most popular one is still about how to be happy. So what, how did you deduce that happiness is a science and what are some of the components of it? 
Great question. I mean, ever since I was little and was aware that I was unhappy, I was reading books on happiness and confidence and psychology. I remember the first book I read was probably Psycho-Cybernetics. And, oh, um, I love that book. Right? Yes. Great book to this day. Still a great book. Timeless um, advice in there. I remember, you know, just always taking an interest in psychology. And over time, I didn't know what it was that I was doing, but I was having conversations with people about what made them tick yes, but even more so what allowed them to be confident or happy or peaceful or whatnot. And then I eventually discovered this program at the University of Pennsylvania, which was a master's in applied positive psychology. So positive psychology, you mentioned, it's about, you know, uh, 20 year young science, you know, time tested, face valid, thousands of empirical studies done on what does lead to a happy life and what doesn't lead to a happy life. And that work was really begun by Martin Seligman, um, who was actually really a researcher, an expert and professor in learned helplessness and depression. But what he had found was that you can remove all of the depression and learned helplessness, or you can remove all of this dysfunction from people, but you don't end up with a happy, thriving individual. You often end up with a flatlining individual. So in any case, since then, you know, I was in that program 2007 or so. Since then, lots of fantastic courses have popped up across the world, as you mentioned, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, but really most of this work was begun and continues to be done at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, thank God that research is being done because happiness really is what makes up the quality of our lives. And it seems like so many people think it's just out of their control. And the more that you think that it's out of your control, the more likely it actually is to be out of their control. So it ends up being a total myth. But what are some of the other most common myths that people have around the idea of happiness? Yeah, I would reduce them down to just a couple. I'd say that first that happiness is something outside of you. (laughs) It's understandable that we would have this idea that happiness is outside of us, but we know that based on science and also based on personal experience, that nothing outside of us brings us the lasting, meaningful, and abiding happiness that we're truly after. Um, you know, in fact, scientists have found that even if your life is perfect, imagine having the perfect partner or partners, imagine having unlimited money and perfect health and incredible beauty, and still all of those things combined only accounts for about 10% or less of how happy or unhappy you are, right? 10%. So that doesn't mean that you can't make your life a lot more comfortable. And it can't, doesn't mean that you can't improve the subjective well-being of your life um, to, through improved objective conditions and circumstances. But by and large, happiness is not something outside of you. It's something that's within you. The second part of that is that happiness is not something that is in the future or in the past. I think most of us think of Happiness is something that we'll eventually get to. So we have a bit of a destination addiction around it. But happiness isn't to be found in the future because you can't even put a finger on the future. When the future arrives, it shows up as the present moment again, right? So happiness is not outside of you in anybody or anything else, including the world. And it's not in front or behind you. It's not in the future or the past. It's here and now and within you. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. 
Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. You know what I've realized is that I can only create something that matches the energy that I'm currently carrying. Whether that's an experience, a friendship, an interaction, whatever it is, it's like if I'm in a depressed state, I'm more likely to have sort of depressing conversations. If I'm feeling lack, I'll probably create something in my business (laughs) that doesn't exactly add to my abundance. However, if I am sitting here and say nothing in my life is how I want it to be, but I sit there in stillness and I find that happiness inside and then I start to create, it's like the whole journey is, uh, is a journey of happiness rather than like something I'm waiting to get to. And then once I'm there... It's almost like what my friend Kelsey calls the success hangover. You get there and none of the feelings you thought that were going to be at this destination are there. But it's like you've been creating the whole time in a totally different energy. Why would you think that you can create a whole new energy if you're sitting in depression the whole time you're creating? You nailed it. I mean, we can pollute even the most well-intentioned project with negative energy right? We can pollute it with desperate, needy energy, with resistance. And so we often overlook that fact. We think of life and of success and relationships as being a physical journey, you know, from getting from here to there, you know, and sometimes we think of it even as a psychological journey, but really it's an emotional journey or deeper than that. It's an energetic journey, right? So it's like, you know, when you're able to get the inside right, the outside falls in place. We've probably heard that before, but it's actually really true. That's why you sometimes see peace movements that become violent or you see, you know, other kinds of movements or other kinds of projects sort of not deliver on the intentions that were initially set out, right. That are initially um, planned for. And so part of that is because, you know, emotion is contagious and it's infectious and it can pollute things, but it can also, you know, help to streamline things and it help to prepave things. And so it's so important to try and get the inside, right. It makes the entire journey so much more fun, so much more fulfilling, but also a lot more fruitful. One thing that I really love the visual of is you had put happiness into an equation relating what we have versus what 
we want. Can you elaborate on that topic a little? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's um, a direct path to happiness and a much more quick and efficient and effective and even enjoyable path to happiness, which is essentially about keeping your needs, we'll call them wants or desires, as low as possible. And that doesn't mean that we should discourage, I'm not trying to discourage people from having desires or dreams or goals, but wants and desires and what we'll sometimes call needs, they kind of like proliferate, right? They like reproduce themselves over and over again. And suddenly, you know, the three series, the BMW three series wasn't enough. And then you need the five series, and then you need the seven series, and then you need the Ferrari. And then it's like, you need two Ferraris. And it's just endless, right? So we call that the hedonic treadmill. It's like the rat race, right? So the challenge with that and the opportunity with that is when your wants and desires outstrip or exceed what you have, you will always find yourself anxious, unhappy, stressed out, and generally not enjoying life. But when what you have is what you want and what you want is what you have, you find that it's a lot easier to be peaceful, to enjoy the moment, to be happy. And again, it's not about you know denying desires or wants or dreams that you have, but looking more deeply into those desires, dreams, goals, because if you look closely enough, you'll discover that what you really want, no matter what you want, is happiness. You want this peaceful, alive feeling of lasting, meaningful, and abiding happiness. That's what you're really after. And so, you know, success, the greatest success is happiness. The greatest, really, wisdom is coming to a state or place of happiness. And so ultimately, happiness for me is what we're ultimately all after. And if you can go directly to the source for it, for the essence of what you want, you can cut out the middle men and middle women and middle activities and you know, sort of this longer, more scenic path. And you can have the happiness that you so badly want through all these things, people and places in the future, you can have it here and now. And you often realize that you've always had it here and now. It's funny because when I went into this whole idea of having a child, <laughs> during my pregnancy, I was saying to myself, I'm not going to be one of those moms that has so many things. I want to be like a minimalist parent. I need less than I think I do. That's always the case. And then the baby comes and I'm like, okay, I don't care. Is this swaddle going to make him sleep better? Is this thing going to make him cry less? Like whatever. And I found myself just buying all the things. And I realized after I my budget of Amazon was way over what it's supposed to be. I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? You're feeling a little out of control or out of your element. You're not feeling grounded. And you're all you're doing is reaching outside of yourself for the solution. And so it was so happiness related for me because I'm like, why do I think that Amazon is going to have the solution to my problems? I need to learn to be a, a mother on my own. Yes, sometimes a, a thing might help. But for the most part, how can I use this time to connect more deeply to my intuition? And how can I intuit what I need in the moment, what my baby needs in the moment? And the moment that I stopped doing that, that I stopped searching Amazon or asking Jeff Bezos for help and being a mom, <laughs> I finally, like the connection, his cries started sounding differently. I was, I was able to really just use my own inner wisdom to figure out what to do in that next moment. That's right. That's absolutely spot on. You can never get enough of something you don't really want or need, right? That's why you always need more money. You need more of X, Y, or Z. You need more Amazon products. And so, you know, you're right about that. Like, and what's interesting is that, and it's understandable because all of our senses really 
focus outward, right? Our eyesight and hearing and smell and taste and touch, it's all externally focused. And so it's only natural that we spend our lives sort of running around the world with, you know, like crazy folks. And that's okay. But you eventually come around to realizing and sort of seeing through the empty promise that things in the world and even people and places in the world make. They don't always make it uh, sort of explicitly, but they make this promise like, I'll make you happy. No, I'll make you happy. And so you eventually come to a place in your life if you've lived long enough or with enough awareness and intelligence, or you've suffered enough, you see through all of that. And you say, ah, oh, isn't there a lazier, smarter way to get what I really want, which is a just a happy, healthy baby or you know, a happy, healthy life myself? Like, is there a way to do that? And that doesn't mean that things in your life outside of you can't support that. You can't help that. In fact, many of them really do but you're much more likely to see what's truly valuable and helpful and constructive and supportive. If you sort of go inside first, you're sort of still and silent in your mind, as you said so beautifully, then you can sort of come from a place of deeper wisdom and intuition. So most things in my life I've realized I have more control over it than I think I do. And it's an interesting thought because I also live my life realizing I have absolutely no control. (laughs) But it's like, I have no control over the things around me, the things happening around me, but I do have control over the way I experience it. And that has to do with my mindset. And you talk about controllable causes of happiness. What are the most important ones that you found? Great point. So when we talk about happiness, we talk about a happy formula or happiness formula, at least from a scientific perspective. And that formula is H, that's happiness, equals C, that's sort of your circumstances or conditions, plus S, that's your set point, your genetic set point, plus V. So C is what we normally think about when we think about happiness. We think about success. So success in our relationships, success with finances, in our professional life. And most of that is objective conditions and circumstances. Those are the things that only altogether account for 10% of our happiness. S set point, genetic set point, is really points to the fact that we come into this world sort of wired for a certain level of happiness. And so part of it is in your genes, right? It's in your DNA. The difference, however, between something like eye color or height and happiness is that happiness is something that's malleable. It's plastic. It's changeable. So you can improve your happiness through this last factor, which is V. So V stands for voluntary activities, right? So Voluntary activities includes things like gratefulness. It includes what you're doing in terms of like your social support network. Like one of the most important things that the science of positive psychology has discovered is that relationships matter. They matter a great deal. And if you have supportive relationships, that's going to enhance your happiness. But also, if you're happy, you tend to find yourself a lot more attractive and appealing to other people. People are easier to get along with. You're easier to get along with. You tend to be kinder, right? Um, so gratitude is certainly one. One, social support is certainly one from a scientific perspective. Optimism is very helpful. Resilience is very helpful. Um, Physical exercise counts for a lot, right? Presence, also incredibly important. Um, And also having a sense of goals, not because it's so important to achieve goals, but just because it gives your life some direction and meaning. And so there's also an acronym that we sometimes use in the positive psychology world, which is PERMA. So the best life consist of these five elements. P is pleasure. So you want to make sure there's pleasure in your life. The E stands for engagement. That means that you are aware of your strengths and you're actively flexing or using your strengths. The R is relationships. So you want to, it doesn't mean romantic relationships, although that's what we mostly think of. 
Um, the M is meaning. So that means you're using those strengths I mentioned earlier in the service of something that's bigger than you, that's beyond you. And A is accomplishment and achievement. That's kind of what that goal point is about. It's not that you need to accomplish or achieve a whole lot. It's just nice to have some direction and feel like you're making progress in your life. So in any case, that's really what we talk about when we talk about happiness from a scientific perspective. What I find interesting is when I was first on my initial pursuit of happiness, I always felt like I was oscillating between all the things. For example, I knew that connections with other people were so important to me. At the same time, one of my biggest struggles was boundaries and I was saying yes to too many things and I was not really hanging out with people that were going to inspire my life that much. And so I got into this whole kick of kind of disconnecting with certain people that were certain relationships that weren't serving me anymore. And I was making progress in my life and I was really excited about that. But then it's like each milestone didn't mean that much because I didn't have as many people to share it with. (laughs) And so then I had to remind myself, oh yeah, connection. What people do I want to connect with? And I found that in almost every step of my pursuit of anything. It's like, When I'm really accelerating in one area, I've got to make sure that I'm not letting the other areas slip because it's so easy to just focus on, well, well, now I'm progressing my life. So I need to stay home and and work on my business. And and then you lose some of the other things. Have you found that to be the case? And how do you make sure that you're keeping the balance as you move? Such a great point that you're making here and underscoring. There's a couple of things there. So one is, and this points to the strength part. So And from a positive psychology perspective, when we talk about strengths, we're really talking about character virtues. So these are things like love of learning, um, you know, um, appreciation for beauty and uh, awe and wonder, you know, things of that nature. And so when you are consistently exercising or flexing those strengths, you'll generally find yourself much happier, more engaged, and you'll be enjoying a much more meaningful life. Now, that being said, there's a separate point here, which you make, which is great around balance right? And so balance is tough because while this entire discussion is really somewhat grounded in science, happiness is also an art. And that means that it's something you've got to customize for yourself. My life does not and would not look very balanced to most people. I get up at 3.30 a.m. I work most of the day and, you know, I repeat that five days a week or whatnot, but I love my work and I love my clients. And that for most people wouldn't look like balance, but there is harmony there. And there is an exercising of strengths there. There's engagement, there's meaning. And so balance looks different for everyone. And it can be a bit of a challenge to find just that right happy medium or sweet spot. And I would also argue that balance is a bit of a pendulum. You, it swings from sort of one extreme to the other. And the idea is that over time, you continue to calibrate and recalibrate that pendulum so that the swings are a little less violent, right? They don't go as far to one extreme or the other. You just kind of know where to kind of keep the pendulum swinging between. Now, all that being said, we're talking mostly from sort of a scientific or more empirical perspective. I would say the one thing I've discovered over time is that as we talk about the art of science, we begin to dive more deeply into a lot of the sort of, you know, timeless or transcendental spiritual teachings or, you know, philosophies, um, even poetry around happiness. And what I've found for the most part is that, you know, balance is great and relationships are great and exercising your strengths is great. But my happiest moments have been found when I've not been trying to figure out just the right mix or balance in my life. I do my best in that respect, but then I find time really to just sit and rest and relax into this deeper 
peacefully alive place inside that not only is always there, but is always me. And so there's something to be said for presence as sort of a master key to all of it, because you never get the balanced thing perfect forever. It's always swinging, right? You never get the relationship stuff perfect forever. You never get the health thing perfect forever, but you can find this place inside that is always infinitely and eternally this thoughtless, wordless place that is happiness itself. And so I would say, you know, do what you can in terms of the balance and do what you can in terms of, you know, living at a level or above of subsistence. So you're making enough money that you don't have to worry too much about having a roof over your head and all that. But all that being said, you can be happy without all of the trappings of success, including balance, if you can spend more time diving into this infinite, eternal, thoughtless, wordless, faceless, formless happiness that exists inside all of us all the time. Here's why that makes so much sense to me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's why that makes so much sense to me because I remember one of the first goal setting courses that I took where I was really just at the point in my life where I'm like, okay, I keep setting goals and not really reaching them. So I I bought a course and I was like, I'm going to follow everything in this. And one of the first exercises was how there were like eight pillars and we needed to set a goal with each one of them in order to have that balance because say your family's slipping, you're not going to really be as driven in these other areas. And I I was writing them all down and I remember feeling so overwhelmed. And what ended up working for me is that I did have to rest into the present moment. I'm like, okay, stop planning for a second. And what can I do right now? And eventually the whole course ended up making a lot more sense because when I got to the right now, yes, I could feel if something was out of balance, but instead of seeing it as this big thing to overcome, it was more so like, 
oh, I feel that. How do I feel better in that area? And then it was just one small action. I didn't have to look at the big picture of it. And so in that present moment, when you just get into the core of your own happiness and you stop being so analytical about it, you get back into the body and into that flow state. Whereas if you're trying to be like, well, oh my gosh, 15% of my finances are down (laughs) or whatever it is, then you're in your analytical mindset. And that's all in your head, which is one of the biggest things that causes the imbalances that lead to depression and anxiety and all of those things. Absolutely. You know, obsessive compulsive discursive thinking can be a problem, right? Like the brain is an incredible problem solver. And it's also just as incredible, if not more so, a problem maker, troublemaker, right? Like, so the brain's job is really to solve problems. And it will solve problems even if there are no problems to solve because it will create those very problems. It will create problems, right? That's why we can live in this very you know, modern society, developed world, been a tough year, yes. But overall, most people are living better lives than their parents or their grandparents are. That's not true for everyone. But it's interesting how we can have problems even when we've got a roof over our head and running water and we're healthy and whatnot, right? And so that speaks to you know how incredible <laughs> and problematic the brain can be. And so if you spend your life, like most of us do, either trying to get to your end of your to-do list or trying to perfect your relationships or this balance thing or get the pleasure thing just right or get you know the engagement or the meeting thing just right or get the achievement thing just right for the finances, you're basically playing a game of whack-a-mole your entire life. And something new will always crop up to replace the old problem to get your attention. And part of that isn't because, you know, life is against you. It's just that the brain is very good at finding problems to solve. And so instead of spending your life, you know, playing this terrible, unhappy, unhealthy game of whack-a-mole, you know, do what you can about your problems, but ultimately come back to realize and recognize that the only thing that you truly have control and influence over is what you're doing here and now in this very moment. And if you can be crystal clear that you're not going to live forever and that life is very short, but it's also very long, especially if you're unhappy, you can become a lot more deeply present with who and what and where you are right here and now. You can even go beyond that. And instead of filtering everything through this storytelling, meaning-making mechanism that is the mind, meaning instead of being with that beautiful child of yours or with that beautiful partner of yours, or instead of you know going for this incredible hike, And the whole time being lost in your mind, your thoughts about what could be better or what might be worse or what else you should be doing or what you didn't get done. If instead of that, you can be fully present and sort of slide into or jump into or fall back into this flow like state that you spoke about, we'll call it presence. But it's basically that tapped in, tuned in, turned on experience of being so deeply, completely absorbed, engaged, and consumed with what you're doing, that you don't have a whole lot of time, energy, or interest to evaluate how you're doing, then you find yourself deeply immersed and extraordinarily joyful, even blissful and peaceful. That flow state is really what we all love so much, right? And so you can spend more of your life and more of the activities that you participate in every day in that flow state, as long as you're not addicted to thinking all the time. And that really comes back to something that you teach. Uh, A line in your book that I love that I wrote down was, the pursuit of success is actually a thinly veiled pursuit of unhappiness. And it's so true because it's like once we reach that milestone, then 
it's not like it's this destination that has this whole new feeling. You now cultivated this energy of like wanting, wanting, wanting. So then when you get the thing that you want, you're still in the energy of wanting. But what you said earlier about a good mindset to be in is is more so the pursuit of progress. So how do you make sure that you're in the pursuit of progress and you don't fall back into the old patterns of that pursuit of success? Because for some people, I think that's a really hard thing to discern. That's right. You you, um, you don't get to the end of the internet and you don't get to the end of your desires ever, right? So I tried to get to the end of the internet. I know, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Good luck, huh? Um, it doesn't happen. So you're right. You know, it's like progress over perfection and progress over reaching the destination, which can be tough. But, you know, if you can look at your life in terms of not so much getting to some place that you call happiness, like it's this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but instead spreading that end out all over the means. So in other words, making sure that you're enjoying each step along the way for two reasons. One is that it's good to feel good. But second of all, when you feel good, you do better. So life goes better. So we know that the happier people, they make more money, six to $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime. They live six to seven years longer. They get married earlier, stay married longer, happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not. What those folks do incredibly well is that they prioritize this moment and enjoyment and happiness in this moment over getting to some place eventually, hopefully in the future that is happiness, right? So they don't have as much of this like destination addiction. They're trying to enjoy each moment as deeply as possible. Sometimes that's not very possible, but the idea is to look at every activity that you experience, that you participate in, that you're committed to, look at every activity and try to at least experience one of these um, three emotions. You want to either be enthusiastic about it, you either want to really try to enjoy it, or the very worst, you want to be able to accept what you're doing. You might not love it. You, in fact, might not like it at all. But if you can accept it and not add to your suffering by thinking about it and telling stories about it and making all this meaning about it and complaining about it mentally or verbally, instead, you can learn to come around to accept it and welcome the experience that you're having in the moment. You'll find that you'll drop the resistance and you'll be able to focus a lot more on this sort of progress-oriented, present-moment-minded approach to life, which will not only increase your happiness, but also your chances at success. It's interesting because there are times when I find myself in those moments and I can feel my ego's resistance so intensely. (laughs) It's just like, no, don't talk me out of this mood. And so I'm curious, how do you use your inner dialogue to kind of get around that ego-driven resistance? Great question. So I love that you point out ego because I sometimes think of ego as, you know, everything good outside, right? (laughs) Or even God is outside kind of thing. And so the idea really for me is, first of all, I want to unitask. That means I want to do one thing at a time if possible. Now, look, if you're a mom or you're a dad or you're just a human being, very difficult to do sometimes. You can't always do that, but you want to try to do one thing at a time. That means if I'm walking, I'm just walking. If I'm listening, I try just to listen. That means walk, don't think. It means listen, don't think. It means take a shower and enjoy taking a shower. You don't need to be thinking and planning and plotting and sort of scripting your life the entire time. So that's the first piece. The second piece is if I can be more focused on enjoying the sensations in my body, that will greatly enhance my ability to stay in the moment and my enjoyment of the moment. So being more focused on your senses 
In other words, think less, feel more physically. But then you can even go deeper. And one of the best sort of practices I've ever discovered is a micro-meditation. A micro-meditation is one breath, no more than one breath, that you take for the sole purpose of enjoying that breath as deeply as humanly possible. You want to milk that one breath for all of the joy you can possibly get out of it. And you want to pretend like that one breath is the last breath you'll ever take on this planet. And it, you never know, it very well could be your last breath. So if you can take it that way, let all your thoughts go and just enjoy it. You don't have to stop what you're doing. If you're doing the dishes, if you're doing laundry, if you know, you're know you listening to someone, you don't have to stop those activities. But if you can breathe in and out through the nose from the stomach or diaphragm and do it just for the joy of it, like it's the last breath you ever take while you go about doing what you do, you'll see that you'll quickly begin to rewire your brain in about 21 to 66 days for a much more harmonious, healthy, present moment-minded and flow state-like experience of life, right? Um, the unfortunate part is that most people don't stick with that practice because it feels so paltry. It's like, what's one breath going to do as often as I can remember during the day? It's not going to do a whole lot, but surprisingly enough, it does a ton. So I would say that that's one way to kind of get around this is to really focus on enjoying the moment as much as humanly possible and trusting the science, but also spiritual teachers and whoever else that have found when you find a way to more deeply enjoy where you're at and what you have and who you're with, you quickly improve the likelihood of success in all areas of your life. I feel like I quote this every episode, but it's probably my favorite quote ever is by Alan Watts, where he says, the secret to life is being completely immersed in what you're doing right here and right now. And your steps to that are pretty much an outline to how to do that. And it's changed my life in ways where there's so many things in a day that I don't love to do, regardless of how privileged it is that I get to do them. Like I have dishes in my own kitchen, but I've got to wash the dishes, you know, and I, I've never liked washing the dishes at all. But I was trying to apply that quote. The one of the, besides my baby, the best thing that came from my pregnancy is it threw me through like all of my old emotions that I thought I had risen above. And it was just like, I was just struggling. And so I had to go back to all of my tools. And I remember specifically with the dishes, I was like, how can I be completely immersed in this to where I'm not dreading it? And I just got into the present moment. And I was like, well, what does this feel like? Like the warm water washing over my hands. How grateful am I to have warm water? How grateful am I to be able to clean something, to even have the ability to live in cleanliness. And then I started realizing this is meditative. It doesn't take a lot of work. Like my hands are warm and cozy and filled with soapy suds. And, and I started to just find the joy in this task that I didn't like at all. And then it became a moving meditation for me. And at the end, I was like, wow, I've never realized that washing the dishes could actually make me happier. <laughs> Boom. You nailed it. I mean, that's why that Zen expression exists, which is it's only painful to do the dishes when you're not doing the dishes. In other words, it's only painful to do the dishes when you're thinking about something other than doing the dishes, right? So that's true of everything. It's mostly generally, and by pain, we mostly mean the psychological and emotional suffering that most of our lives consist of. It's only painful, generally, most painful to do most things because we're not there 
with that thing or there with that person. Our mind is somewhere else or thinking or comparing this moment to some other moment. And so you're absolutely right. The challenge and the opportunity is to be mentally and emotionally and even spiritually wherever you physically are. The actor Vince Vaughn says, just keep your mind where your body is kind of thing, right? I would go further than that and say, kind of do what you can to keep your mind quiet, right? Or at least be aware of your thoughts and not be lost in your thoughts, right? And so the way I sometimes remind myself is that mind is misery. No mind is bliss, right? And so the challenge is like, how can I basically enter into this flow state, not be lost in my thoughts, can be aware of my thoughts, but be aware of them without judgment and then bring my focus and attention back to the incredible sensations of running water or the incredible sensations of walking along a beach or just walking down the street. Like, can I just for that one moment, do this one thing and do it with my whole mind, heart, and soul. Now, the one thing I'll say to that is this too. One of the best things you can do, particularly parents, but all of us can do, and I'll explain it concisely. But the idea is once you've clarified what your life is for, what you're optimizing your life for. So for me, it's happiness. I would say most of it's probably happiness. In fact, you can reverse engineer out everything that you don't love or aren't particularly good at. What does that mean? That means you can outsource, delegate, reduce, eliminate, automate, or regulate. So those six options, as much as humanly possible. If you don't like something, if you hate it, do everything humanly possible to outsource it, delegate it, reduce, eliminate it, or automate or regulate it. That will make this sort of unitasking flow state experience that we're after a lot easier. I'm so glad you brought that up because you have eight principles of happiness basically that are so important. All of them individually have somehow empowered my life. But I wanted to make sure we touched on the very first one because it's the principle of smart energy investment and basically investing your time and energy in ways that'll bring you the highest happiness return. And so what you just described there and figuring out, well, when are you the happiness? What ta- or the happiest? What tasks do you love to do? Which ones do you not love to do? And you start designing your life in that way, then suddenly you'll realize, wow, I don't have all, so many of these daily things that bring me down. And yes, there is something to be said about using some of the things that you don't love as like your own personal emotional trainer. Like, can you find joy in this? But, and that's a necessary skill to have with the things that you can't maybe outsource. But I think we assume that there's all these things in our lives that we just have no control over or that we will just always have to do. But if we think about it in a slightly different way, often we'll realize that there is a smarter way to do that, a smarter way to invest our time to where we're living in our truth and in our happy place. And so we're more productive and we're spreading more positive energy and we seem to attract more opportunities rather than thinking that we have to live our lives in in our place of dread, basically. You nailed it. That's exact, absolutely right. You know, um, there's no reason to torture yourself on the way to happiness, right? There's no reason to spend your life doing things that you really suck at or that you really hate. Like, you know, we're all sort of designed, born with our own unique, divinely ordained talents, gifts, skills, or whatnot. And this is a place where science also supports us in saying, hey, the most extraordinarily successful individuals, teams, families, relationships, organizations, corporations, they don't spend their lives trying to shore up weaknesses or focusing 
always on what they can't do well or what they don't love. Instead, they focus on those signature two, three, four strengths that they feel energized for having exercised. And they try to exploit those strengths. They leverage those strengths. They really use those strengths as consistently as humanly possible. And everything else, they try to outsource, delegate, reduce, eliminate, automate, or regulate. And that's especially true for those of us who have you know, full lives. And if you're a parent, one of the best things I ever discovered and my clients have ever discovered is you know, how great and useful and valuable it is to hire out like even things like getting the house cleaned, like getting the laundry done, like it seems expensive. And sometimes it feels like we don't have the money and we might not have the money always for it. But if you do, you'd be surprised at how much bandwidth physically, psychologically, and emotionally that opens up for you to focus on the things that do bring you joy. So yeah, lazy intelligence or the path of least resistance or that sort of, you know, um, principle of smart energy investment is so critical because there's no reason to make your life harder than it needs to be. Right. And sometimes it's just the mindset about what we can't afford and what we can't. It's like, I know for me, I have found myself, it's so easy to make a hundred five dollar purchases, right? Yes. <laughs> but but then it's like for the longest time, I remember just thinking certain meal delivery services were just too expensive. I'm like, I don't want to pay that much for that. I'll just buy it from the grocery store until I realized, wait, I'm saving time going to the grocery store, planning my meals. I I don't have to make the decision before the night happens. And now it's like one of my top purchases, especially now that I've had a baby is just how many meal delivery services can I get with like almost fully prepared meals? And so it made it a lot easier. But I want to thank you for all of your research into happiness and uh for such an amazing interview and all the wisdom that you shared. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and working with you and about your book, where's the best place for them to connect? For sure. So you can have you can find happiness from the outside happiness from the inside out everywhere great books are sold including Amazon and Barnes and Noble both online and in the store. You can find me on all social media platforms at rob mac m a c k official and you can find me at my website coachrobmac.com. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 186. So your challenge for this week is to start creating one of your power lists. I even have a free printable that guides you through this at mindlove.com if you sign up for the morning Mind Love. It's one of the freebies that you get. So start to write down the things that make you happy. And if you're not in a happy mood right now, wait until you are. It's so much easier. If you've been in a perpetual state of unhappiness, then it is time to start figuring out the things that have made you happy in the past. Think back to one of your happiest moments. What were you feeling and why? Was it connection with people? Was it feeling secure? Was it sitting out in the fresh air, breathing it all in? You know what makes you happy more than anybody else, and it doesn't have to be anything like the things that make other people happy. Just start to write these things down. Next time you notice yourself feeling lit up, take a note of it. Next time you notice yourself feeling motivated, ask yourself what's going on inside and take as many notes as you can. The more that you get to know yourself, the more you will automatically know the intrinsic things that make you feel happier. And the more you'll be able to grab these when you need them, when you're in a lower state, kind of like that life preserver that we talked about in the beginning of this episode. It's the principle of smart energy investment. Where can you invest your energy where you are feeling meaning, 
feeling balanced, feeling love, feeling connection? What are you doing in those moments? Whenever I move to a new area, I'm a little bit depressed at first. It's like everything's unfamiliar. I don't have my regular places. I don't have friends. And the way I start to cultivate my happiness is to find my personal routines. And it's less about a routine of living in a new spot and more about my happiness routine and how it's going to integrate with this new area. You don't have to be in a new area to do this. Maybe you realize that you feel the most lit up, the happiest when you're connecting with people and also doing something meaningful. So that might guide you toward a volunteer opportunity. Or maybe you feel the happiest when you're connecting with people and also doing something physical with your body. So maybe it's a good idea to join an intramural league. Or maybe you feel the best when you're moving your body and you're all by yourself. So that could guide you to going on a hike or joining a new yoga studio. You know you better than anyone else. And this is a great activity to get to know yourself even better. So write down the things that you already know, but also make an intention to keep your eye out for things that you might not have drawn a connection to quite yet. This is your mission in your whole life is to keep getting to know yourself better and better deeper and deeper until you know exactly what you need in every moment. And let me know how it goes. Let's start compiling a happy list together. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. We will also be talking about it in the Facebook group, which you can find by going to mindlove.com slash FB group, and it'll route you right there. If this episode was helpful or you know someone that it could help, please tap the share button and send it to them or take a screenshot and tag me at mindlovemelissa and mindlovepodcast on Instagram. For those of you who have left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, thank you, thank you, thank you. It means a ton to me. You can also support the show by signing up for premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get extra episodes, monthly meditations, and other fun bonuses. And otherwise, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 